Welcome, everyone. It's Talia. And Mackenzie. And we're the, the Cattle, Cattle Gals. Gals. Welcome, everybody. Um, Talia and Mackenzie here. We're on for our second podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the first one. Today, we're going to talk about a variety of things. Anything from the dairy industry to back to Impossible Foods and some new articles that we found on that. So, Mackenzie, I'll turn it over to you and let you start us off. Yeah, okay. So today we're going to start off um, with talking about Starbucks. Earlier this week, they denounced the use of dairy, dairy milk in their stores. They are pushing their customers to go with an alternative plant-based option. I feel they are trying to make uh, a big headline. It is great they want to raise awareness for the environment. However, there are much greater impacts we can have than removing dairy from our diet. Maybe they could they should consider the use of electricity, transportation, single-use plastics, um, maybe consider reducing food waste in their stores. Basically, they I feel as if they're looking for attention, just trying to make a big bang, kind of like the Golden Globes did a few weeks ago. I agree. And what's crazy is Starbucks, they have a really big voice. They have yeah. a huge following, a ton of people drink their stuff. I do. I did. But they are only 0.3% U.S. milk production. So for right. them to think that that is what is going to lower their carbon footprint is absurd. Yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think it goes back to uh, just making a big headline. And I feel that they are thinking if they put this out there, other businesses, other stores will follow suit. And they will have that a bigger impact on the dairy industry. So back in March of 2019, I believe, was when they first brought on a milk substitute, which was oat milk. And now the two new ones are almond milk and coconut milk. And this, I mean, this goes back to the labeling, right? So we're fighting this in the beef industry right now. We don't want their products to be labeled meat or beef. And this this happened in the dairy industry, and it's taking its toll. People are choosing these other quote-unquote milks as a substitute. Right. And as you stated earlier, in the long run, it's not, not choosing to, not choosing dairy is not having an environmental impact. Um, This is so minimal. Again, it just goes back to making a big bang, a big statement. Dairy farmers over the past 30, 40 years have, have been struggling. A few facts. In 1970, 650, there, there were 650,000 dairy farms. In 2017, there were only 40,219 dairy farms, according to the USDA. So in 1987, half of American dairy farms had 80 or fewer cows. And by 2012, that figure had risen to 900 cows. Small dairy farms are rapidly disappearing and becoming a thing of the past. Do you think that's probably, though, because I also found this on USDA's website, that 
cow milk consumption for Americans has fallen about 2% each year since the 1970s. So I'm assuming that the drop-off of dairies and number of cows is in pretty tight correlation with that 2%. For certain. And then also technology advances in the dairy industry, such as embryo transfer, has ramped up milk production and caused a glut of supply. So we have all this supply, and then people are cutting back on drinking milk. So, I mean, those numbers just don't work. As I mentioned earlier, small dairy farms, those small producers are becoming a thing of the past. Consolidation in the industry is taking its toll. You aren't seeing those independently owned dairy farms anymore. It's these big businesses that have come in and kind of taken over the industry. Right. And they're very efficient. I mean, for as far as sustainability goes, though, dairy farmers have shrunk their environmental footprint a lot. I mean, they are very, very innovative. It's a very innovative um, industry. They run their industry very well. I saw this quote in an article that I was reading that was written back in the 1950s. Someone had called the dairy industry the treadmill theory of technology adoption. So basically, they adopt all this technology They innovate their farms, they get better, they produce better, they're more sustainable, but then they have this huge supply that they can't get rid of. And it just goes around and around and around year after year. So they're they're trying to do better and then they do better and then they have nowhere to go with their product. Exactly. There was a 13% increase in milk production from 2009 to 2018. That's huge. And yeah, and then you have these other alternatives coming on the scene, and the consumer's taste has changed over the years. They are going with these other alternatives. You go down the milk aisle in the grocery store, and I mean, my goodness, there are so many different alternatives. So, Talia, every morning, uh, do you by chance watch a morning show? Do you ever watch the Today Show? You know, it's hit and miss. I have seen it, but I I'm not one to sit down and watch TV in the mornings. Two kids kind of keep me busy, so. (laughs) Right, that makes sense. So I believe it was this past week, the Today Show had Dr. Oz on a morning feature. So on this segment, uh, they had the Impossible Burger, they had Beyond Meat, and then they also had Bacon and other fake pork meat. They had all the hosts there. And all the hosts called dibs on not tasting the fake patties, which I thought was pretty humorous. They just wanted to try the real beef. Carson Daly said, this whole segment makes me excited to go to Five Guys later today. When one of the hosts tried fake bacon, you could just tell by watching his face that it probably tasted like rubber and had no taste. You know... What's really frustrating is Dr. Oz has been against us for years now. And I have people in my family that that watch him and it just it makes me shudder because it's like no, you know, he's he's not for the egg industry, the beef industry, I guess. And it's really frustrating. So, thank you Carson um for standing up for us and being a great advocate. Yes, exactly. During the segment, he 
straight up said that plant-based burgers are not a healthier option. Um, So what did Dr. Oz say back? I didn't watch the segment, but did he have a comeback for that? He said that it would be good to intermix these with your diet of regular beef. There wasn't a straight out answer. Um, kind of danced around it. One one thing that was mentioned, uh, Burger King, Burger King with the Impossible Burger, they did recently slash their prices on their Impossible Burger because the response has been so poor, they haven't been able to move that product. That is very interesting. Um, we just talked about this on our Facebook page and how at the time, McKenzie, I think it was what, like a buck higher? Yep, correct. Um, it was a buck higher. So maybe it will keep going down because they're not pushing product like they thought. I think a lot of people, I know we've talked about it being a fad in the past, but you know, I think their sales may have sparked because it caught people's attention um, and yeah. then people tasted it and they tried it and it Probably wasn't what they were expecting it to be, so they didn't buy it again. Yep, they had that newness. It was the hype, and then once that faded, it just didn't draw people in. So I had Googled uh, a list of celebrities who eat meat, because I was trying to find somebody, such as Carson, that was a good advocate for the beef industry or animal proteins, And all of the headlines that I found from Google were like 50 celebrities who don't eat meat, celebrities that went vegan, vegan celebrities. So to me, I take that as, okay, that's still a minority. Going vegan is still a minority because if it wasn't, then it would, they would be calling out the people that do eat meat. I couldn't find one article about celebrities who do eat meat, so... Maybe we should do that. Yeah, that is a fantastic idea. I wonder if they'll answer my phone calls. How do you even, <laughs> how do you even get their phone numbers? <laughs> Google. <laughs> Google. <laughs> uh, well, um, since we're on the topic of impossible meat, there was a study that came out where they fed rats the key ingredient in Impossible Burgers, and I might not pronounce this correctly, it is genetically modified yeast-derived protein, soy, leg hemoglobin, um, also known as SLH. So they fed this to rats, and they developed unexplained changes in weight gain and signs of toxicity, and these changes can indicate the onset of inflammation or kidney disease Impossible signs of anemia. So uh, this soy-derived protein is, we talked about it in our previous podcast, it is the main ingredient in the product that gives it the taste. It contains a lot of iron, um, so it gives it that meaty taste and color. This study basically came to the conclusion that this SLH, causes significant changes in multiple organs and systems, and it does suggest that closer scrutiny of the safety of SLH is urgently required. It took impossible foods a few years to get SLH passed the FDA because the FDA was worried about the side effects of the product and um, 
basically if it was safe for human consumption. But they did finally get it passed, and it is obviously safe through the FDA. So what I found interesting was so they, in order to get it passed through the FDA, they had a multiple, multiple different options of what they could do, what kind of testing they could do, and Impossible Foods chose animal testing. So they did this test on the rats, um, 188 of them. And if you know anything about animal research, um, after the test, if, if the animals did not pass away, they were then euthanized. And so PETA actually cut down Impossible Foods for this and that they don't understand how Impossible Foods could have um, done an animal test when there were other options to get it passed through the FDA. And so in the press release, I mean, PETA just rags on Impossible Foods. And I found it really funny. PETA says this heme comes from SLH and contains more iron than that found in the heme of a similar serving of red meat. Having too much iron in your blood can mean a greater risk of developing cancer. So here PETA is, one of our (laughs) biggest enemies, not standing up for red meat, but saying that red meat is healthier than Impossible (laughs) Foods, which is plant-based, which is what they're for. Yeah, that's kind of ironic. I, yeah, I mean, this is probably the one and only time I will ever fist bump PETA. Yeah, that is, that's humorous. Impossible Foods, ha- they have recently introduced a new recipe for its Impossible Burger. And this new recipe would include protein from herbicide-tolerant soy. The soy protein was introduced to replace wheat protein in order to improve the texture and, and to avoid gluten, which... A lot of people are allergic to gluten, so that's what they were going for with that. And as a result of this new recipe, Impossible Burger version 2.0 may contain, may contain residues of the probable carcinogen glyphosate. Right, protein. so a GMO. Yeah, yeah. Again, and I have read a couple studies actually recently that the thought is why people aren't purchasing Impossible Foods, meats, and burgers is because of the GMO factor. People are yeah. people are seeing, oh, wait, that, that yeast is a GMO. It's genetically modified in order to produce this heme protein. And that is catching people's attention. Right. Well, in the past few years, there's been so many people come out against GMOs. And I just, I feel like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They were so against it, but yet... You know, they were for this, but I think the realization that there are GMOs involved with this product is catching some people's attention. I'm glad that, you know, because years ago we were so worried about GMOs, not not us so much, but society and consumers were worried about GMOs and us in agriculture, we were pushing out the fact that, no, these are healthy, they're safe, you know. But we, we fought that battle, and we continue to fight that battle. So for somebody like Impossible Foods, dang right they should fight that battle. So, Mackenzie, I guess what is your take on these the tests that were done and that were run? I mean, there's so many things. You know, they do tests on beef all the time and the impact it has on 
the human health. Um, but what are your feelings on the results from the impossible foods? Right. Um, they worry me. I, I, they did talk about how these results, how they could be skewed and maybe they weren't exactly right and how the tests were administered, that could have had some effect. However, it goes back to this being such a processed ingredient and knowing what it is. And yeah, there were negative side effects on these rats that I don't, I don't think it's worth eating a product continually that could cause these side effects to happen to myself. What, what are your thoughts, Talia? Yeah, I guess what's really shocking to me that just really irks me is Impossible Foods dismissed these significant effects as non-adverse or having no toxicological relevance. What it comes down to is they are just all business, and I don't think they are considering the well-being of those consumers that will be consuming this product. I guess in closing, it's um, in our last podcast, we had said that the Impossible Foods had made a statement that by 2035, they wanted to replace all animal protein consumption. So um, they better get on it. Yeah, they better start working towards that and figuring out how they're going to make it work because it's probably not going to work. All right, everybody. So we want to hear your thoughts on Impossible Foods, Beyond Meat, Fake Meat. Uh, Go ahead and, and comment in the link below and let us know. And if any of you want links to the articles that we're referring to, just hit us up and we'll get you those links. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter also on YouTube, Um, and we look forward to doing more of these in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening, everyone.